Yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away. Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now, where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host, who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. Bonnie D. in the house. I never remember which way I went in the beginning for the future, so I'm just going to say into the future. We'll just go this way. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, My panel hasn't been introduced yet, but I'm going to ask you all to wave hello to our live viewing audience on LinkedIn. we got a couple of viewers here on Facebook, and we're also speaking live on the Voice America Business Channel. Happy to be here. This is part two of a very interesting topic, interesting to me, interesting to obviously my panel and to a lot of our listeners around the world. Data, 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 data. You are leaving breadcrumbs. You are leaving footprints. You are leaving your stuff all over the place, whether you know it or not, and you may not know it. What's happening to it? Are you getting ads? Are you getting spammed, scammed, shammed? Where is your data? Is there any chance in the world that we will ever have privacy again, if we ever did, before this era of data everywhere? So let me read a couple of opening quotes here. You know, I start with the buzz. Then I'll have my four esteemed panelists introduce themselves. We'll do their opening quotes, and then we'll get on with the prediction. So quote number one, I love this one from Margaret Cho, a little bit of a controversial comedian. She says, privacy and security are those things you give up when you show the world what makes you extraordinary. There's the trade-off, everyone. How much do you want people to know on LinkedIn, on Instagram, on or Pinterest, wherever you are? Now, here's another quote. And this one is a very serious one from the National Cybersecurity Alliance and CISA. That's Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Agency, U.S. agency. Millions of people are unaware of and uninformed about how their personal information is being used, collected, or shared in our digital society. Now, with its 19th year, Cybersecurity Awareness Month, continues to build momentum and impact, co-led by the two organizations I mentioned. That's quote number three. Here, two, buzz number three. Listen to this. This is from Stefan Napo, the Global Head of Information Security at Societe Generale Internationale Banking. That's my best French for today. Digital freedom stops where that of users begins. Privacy is not for sale. And I think a lot of us would disagree because I think a lot of our privacy is being sold. It's a valuable asset to protect. Are we protecting it? Is anybody else? We're gonna try and handle that today in buzz number four. Listen up. The fact, the number of data breach events in Q1 represents a double digit increase of 14% over the same time last year is another indicator that data compromises will continue to rise in 2022 after setting a new all time high last year in 2021. This is from Eva Velasquez, president and CEO of an organization called the Identity Theft Resource Center. I'm going to call the names of my four panelists. Raise your hand. Wave to the audience. I hope I'm pronouncing everything right. Shane Faria, how are you, Atiki? Shane, welcome. There we go. Oh, I got a salute. I like it. Do you want Faria or Faria? Which one? How do you want me to say it? Uh, The Americanized version is Faria. If you're feeling like you would like to pay homage to my heritage, you may say Faria, but it's up to you. Shane Faria then. I la- homage is good. And people used to say homage. And the French pronunciation is homage. So we'll say Shane Faria. Welcome. Bienvenue. There we go. Mike, you want to be out of your Audi today. How do you want to be? 
I don't know how it's pronounced, so <laughs> just give it a shot. <laughs> Mike Audi, I'm going to name you like the car. Vroom, vroom, vroom. Mike also with Tiki. Thank you very much for joining me again. Eric Simone at Clearblading. Eric has been spending his morning doing little jabs and jibes and promos for this show on LinkedIn. Eric, you're my hero today. Thank you and welcome back. Eric, say hello. Be back, Bonnie. And when Eric does his introduction, I have it in my notes to ask him how he named his company Clearblade Inc. We're not the ink part, the Clearblade part. So I promise he asked me a special favorite. It's in my notes under your picture, Eric. I promise. I keep my word. And we have a newcomer on the panel. He was recommended by Bing Shu, who was on our show a couple months ago, and he couldn't make it, so he recommended Eli Herrick at Stack Stack. Eli, just quick, quick hello and wave hello. There he is. Thank you all for joining me. Let's go around the table. Monsieur Shane Faria. I'm, I'm even doing it more European than I thought I would. Shane, I'm putting you on speaker view for the audience. Would you please? Shane, I had to do the math this morning, and it was really hard. You've been on the show so many times. I'm guessing as of today, there are 9.2 people who don't remember you around the world. I'm sorry. I know that's disappointing. Would you please talk to those nine? Mike, I'm, I'm calculating yours right now. And Eric, forget about that. Uh, Shane, would you please talk to those 9.2 people and refresh their memory, who you are, what you do, a little bit about Tiki, my Tiki, and what's your passion for our topic? Shane, welcome. For sure. Uh, well, hello to these 9.2 people to the 0.2 person. I'm sorry. Uh, I hope things are going better for you in the future. Um, <laughs> my name is Shane Faria. Now that we've established the Portuguese part of it, um, I am a co-founder at a company called Tiki, along with Mike, who's our founder and CEO. Uh, we're on a mission to make the internet a heck of a lot better because right now it's not nearly as good as it can be. And a lot of that traces back to data and specifically the ownership of data. Who owns the data? What are they doing with it? What are they using it for? For what purpose? For how long? Et cetera, et cetera. And so as it stands right now through a lot of legislation and a lot of companies who want to avoid liability, many people around the world already own their data. They just haven't had the ability to exercise that in any way that is beneficial or easy or obvious. And we want to make it as easy and obvious as possible. Uh, the first step is assigning data ownership. And then there's a ton of things that can be built on on top of that. And I think if Mike wants to dabble in that area, he's uh, been thinking about it very, very deeply for a long time. And I don't want to uh, disclose any company secrets at this point, Mike. Um, <laughs> So I would say I'm pretty much, I explain myself as an everyman to the situation. Um, I'm more of the soft skills and communicating and getting people to conceptualize data as something tangible, something that you own. We create data every single day. And the situation right now is like if you had a giant, giant farm in your yard and then someone comes in, steals all your crops and then sells them back to you. Uh, some sort of variation on that. And um, I got into this basically for a while, was ignorant about the topic, but knew that I was using data in everything that I did. Um, I was an athlete. I was always tracking my metrics, always looking at my times, my intervals, every little thing to improve myself from an athletic perspective. And I'm sure Eli can relate to this as well, yep. using a ton of data. And then my jobs out of school, using a ton of data for analytics, customer experience, things like that. And then I, you know, 
looked into the world, started reading news stories, started getting into these data breaches and company misuse of data and things like this, and then forecasting how much more data we're going to generate in the future. And I think a lot of people are always looking for a hero. And I think I was in a situation where I was like, okay, how about I try to do something about it? And that's where I am at now. Thank you. Looking for a hero, how about I be that hero? Shane, that's a wonderful story. And we don't think about the data part, that it's ours, that it's something, the idea that it's tangible, it's it's something we made, we create, it's of us, right? We're sharing it, we're giving it, sometimes too freely, we don't realize what's happening. We trust too much. Oh my goodness, that's a word that, I don't know if we can even use that anymore in our vocabulary. Mike, Audi, you're gonna be Audi today. We just we just decided uh, while you're explaining who you are, I'm going to say the same 9.2 people as Shane, you know, talk to them. But, Mike, I'm going to give you the uh, the mandate or the request, please, to tell us, remind us, how did Tiki get its name? Mike, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. maybe we'll start there. I was at a Tiki bar. Um, <laughs> it's a very simple story. Um, but when you're trying to solve a problem that is feels very doom and gloom and impossible to solve, um, it helps to have a dancing pineapple as the character to make it a little more welcoming for users. So that's why it's a pineapple. That's why it's the name Tiki. Um, but yes, I was at a Tiki bar when the original motivation to do this came about. But yeah, so I'm Mike. My background is in building huge systems for mass amounts of data and how that intersects with people. So I built a pretty big business before this, um, and then I left that to go and solve what I think is the most important problem facing humanity right now. Um, the way I think of, about it is data is the most powerful asset the world has ever created, and all of it is consolidated in roughly five company hands today. It's the reason why those companies are more powerful than any single government. It's the reason that they really have created all of the problems that we face on the internet now through all of the systems of unfair trade effectively. They know how to value your data better than you. And subsequently that's led to, you know, all the things that we hate about the internet, right? Um, digital nudging, um, censorship, echo chambers, you name it, right? Um, and so it's really become a, a critical issue for individuality and freedom um, on something that organically grew as just a decentralized way for us all to connect with one another. Um, and so we need to find a way to break that power dynamic and bring back the power back to people. Um, the way we can do that is technically and legally, we all own our data. And just like your car, you decide who drives your car. If you sell your car, you get paid for it. Why does that not extend to data you own, right? That is the core tenant of what we set out to fix for the internet. User data ownership is a fundamental layer to the internet, right? Build a new infrastructure level that's under the covers that gives back ownership, privacy, freedom, right? Back to people. Um, subsequently, that creates a new fair market for data, a new free market specifically that derives a fair market value, which allows you to trade based on what you believe your data is worth, not just what some other company is willing to give for you, right? And so, you know, free market economics, freedom, individuality, you know, privacy is a core tenant of all of those. And so that is what we're after is how do we bring that power back to people because people technically own it and have rights over it. 
Thank you very much. And I'm guessing a lot of people watching this, our business audience around the world, may understand what you're talking about, Mike and Shane, so far. But I'm guessing that on the B2C level, the non-business user, they just, they aren't aware of it. it. It didn't enter their mind. Yes, I put this on Facebook. Yes, I put that on Instagram. Yes, I made this TikTok. They don't realize what they're giving away. I'm going to use that. We're not going to get into a political discussion, by the way, no discussion of parties or personalities, but thank you for, for, for the good words you shared, Mike, uh, for the insights. That's important to our topic and I appreciate it. And now we reminded us of the pineapple. Where's the pineapple? Mike, I don't see a pineapple. You made just, me zoom in my camera and the well, pineapple zoom, got taken away. <laughs> zoom, zoom out for a second then. I want to see the damn pineapple. I haven't bought one this summer yet, by the way. Too much acid Let's for see me. Let's see if we can't do this. Get it. Eric, there's the pineapple. There's Look a at that. pineapple. Yeah, there's my the kids full used studio. To call it a pine bumble. There we go. I appreciate that. Okay, you can come in a little bit now. Thank you. Okay, there he is. Eric Simone, <laughs> what two acts for you to follow? Eric, I want you, now Eric, just to be fair, 9.1, 9.1 people, well, I'm sorry. It, it, was, it, was, more pain. it was very, very close, I gotta tell you. Eli, it's everybody for you because you've never been on the show before. Eric, okay. I, I want to remind you please that we'd love to know how you named your company Clearblade. Thank you, Eric Simone, go ahead. Okay. So well over a decade ago, you know, look, I'm, I'm an engineer and uh, there's a lot of frustration about what I call fake news around software. Lots of people tell lots of great stories, but their software is way less than what they say. So Clearblade literally means cut through the BS. I'll use the, the PC term. So that's why I came up with the name and also the URL was available. <laughs> Now tell us who you are, what you do, and what the company does. Go ahead, Eric. Remind us. <laughs> so I am the co-founder and CEO of Clearblade. Uh, we're an Austin-based company, formed well over a decade ago, um, focused on IoT, edge computing, and AI software for B2B enterprise companies. Um, we, we are working with some of the largest companies in the world in energy, uh, transportation, agriculture, aerospace, you name it. And, and the reason we attacked this problem so long ago is, look, we saw the cloud emerge, uh, we saw mobility emerge, but uh, thankfully my CTO and I had this vision to say, look, soon this is gonna be connecting everything. So we were the first company to talk about edge computing. We we're the first company to release an edge software product uh, and be a little less shy. We're the best company out there to do it, right? We've been around a long time. So again, we're working to move the power of data and the power of AI to the edge. We can talk more about why that's important, why that helps with privacy, and why that's valuable uh, to these massive companies that are modernizing the way they do business. Thank you very much. I, Eric, I don't what, have what a pineapple, you? but I have a <laughs> So uh, if you recognize that, it's an Apple IIe. So oh. that tells you I'm a little bit dated, but it still works. 
Well, Eric contacted me this morning and he said he was, I don't know whether he was awed or annoyed or, or shocked that on the last show we did part one with Shane and, and Bing Shu and Mike and we had another, and, and Eric, I used the words JCL, which is job control language, and I used the term abend, abnormal end to a program. I was a, back in the day, Eli, when it was programmer slash analyst was the job title. You analyze what the end user needed and you programmed and did the code. I did all of that. And so I was throwing around some terminology and Eric said, oh my. (laughs) I started as a programmer analyst doing air traffic control on mainframes for a big company that's blue. Okay. uh, I never worked for the blue company, but I worked for big organizations on the West Coast. And I still have my COBOL handbook and I still have green bar data dump printouts. And I still have my my ultimate respect, Bonnie. Thank you. And I still have my notes from sketching out on a piece of paper with a ruler and a pencil what the consultant in Salem, Oregon, told me the report had to do, how many columns, how many rows, and what the report was going to deliver to the users in the state. So anyway, great memories. (laughs) People say, what? Early woman in tech, what? On that note, Hearty welcome to Eli Herrick. We're so happy to meet you, Eli. Full screen. You got to tell us the whole story. You still have three minutes like everybody. Well, they mostly were about four minutes. I'll give you four minutes. Eli, who are you? What are you doing here? What is Stack Stack? And welcome. Thanks for having me, Bonnie. I'm uh, glad I'm not responsible for any partial people yet. So at least I'm starting <laughs> on Well um, done. Thank you. So StatStack is an athlete-centric data marketplace. We're taking all this information and and democratizing it away from the companies that are actually um, collecting it without the athlete's knowledge. And about 92% of our users have no idea that their data was even being collected. And what what happens after that um, is even more nefarious and doesn't really enter that public sphere of what's going on, who has control of this and how are they using it. So we basically take all that back for them and then we show them how it works. And then we actually start connecting them and using that data um, controversially to what they're currently being used for. Um, so that's kind of who we are, what we do. We got started at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, I was playing baseball at Duke University. Turns out it's really hard to get drafted when you can't go outside and play anymore. Um, so that kind of entered this whole idea of how do we do this digitally? How does this work now? And how are we going to solve this problem now that COVID-19 has everybody indoors? Um, so that's really where we got started. We spent pretty much every... Uh, waking moments since then, trying to track down everything that's being collected, how that's mm-hmm. being distributed, who has access to this, who has ownership over it. And it's been very interesting to have, you know, thousands of hours of discussions at this point with mm-hmm. people in the space and even to have to like bring up to them and ask them to go through their own user agreements of where does your company stand on this? How does this work? Um, and how can we help streamline everything? So kind of the quick overview on StatStack, who we are, where we've come from, but that's that's right. What about you? Education, background, how did you get into this? What drew you to this profession, to this career? Eli? Yeah, so my educational degree at Duke was economics. Uh, so not quite in the computer science sphere, but I knew enough people that really liked sports and actually went into being an analyst for a lot of professional teams. Um, that when the pandemic hit, I had at least a short call list of, hey, how are you guys solving this problem? Um, and just going through that and realizing, okay, there's a lot more going on behind the scenes here that I had no idea existed, um, but had enough people that could at least start me down that path. 
Very interesting. Well, I'm going to say yay Duke. I'm in Durham right now. I'm trying to move to Tennessee, but I'm in Durham right now. So yay Duke, I'll do that for you. Thank you, Eli, and welcome. We're very happy to have you join the panel. We're very flexible here. We welcome people, right, guys? Coming in, coming out. We change panels from time to time, but this is one of my, I think, top of mind topics that we need to pay attention to. Uh, It might be breaking news for some of our listeners and our viewers that their data is important, that they do own it, that when they share it, people might do stuff with it that they didn't know people would do that they might not want them to do. So if it's breaking news, I hope we're enlightening and inspiring you to think about it. Maybe you can't do too much right now. But let me ask a quick question around the panel before we get to the quotes. My my uh, topic today is, is data privacy, data, data everywhere, your data is everywhere. Is data privacy in your future? I'm just going to ask for a yes or no. That's all I want. And then we'll go to the quotes. Shane, is data privacy in our future, let's say in the next 10 years? Yes or no? Mostly yes, but not a hard yes. Wow, you shocked me, Mike. You don't have to agree with him just because he works with you. Go ahead, Mike. We're either going to have all privacy or no privacy in the very near future. I'll take that. I'll take that as a hmm. Okay, Eric? No. That's where I thought Shane would be. Shane, I'm intrigued. Er Eli? Absolutely not. Okay. Shane, you're out on a ledge there. Mike, we're not talking to you. Shane, I'm going to give you 60 seconds to, to respond, not to rebut. You're, in, you're entitled, but why did you say yes? Um, there's, there's a lot of technology in development that we don't know about. And the, the exponential growth of technology, we, it's very difficult to fathom a year out, let alone 10 years out. And so I have faith in mankind and it, maybe it's more of a hopeful gesture than anything, but based in what I'm doing as a profession, um, banking on the combination of new technologies and a growing awareness, there'll be more of a driving factor to actually get something done. Um, I don't know if there's enough people in the world right now who care at this very specific moment, Yes, but I think that we will see those numbers increase. I don't know what the catalysts will be. I hope that Mike and I are certainly uh, a couple of them there, but 10 years out is a long time. And so a lot of things can happen. I like the optimism. I think we're going to give you a gold star for the optimism. Thank you very much. Let's not go there because it'll come into some of the predictions, I think. Let's go to our opening quote, Shane Faria. I'm using the French term now, not the Portuguese French pronunciation. You picked a movie I've never heard of. I don't even want to say the name of it on the air, but the movie is Wet Hot American Summer, a 2001 American satirical comedy film. If you didn't hear it, I'm not repeating it. Beth, the camp director playing played by, I don't know how she pronounced the name, Janine, Jane-Ann Garofalo. Janine Garofalo, right. Uh, I've just been watching 24, and she's she's a tech nerd. She's a, a data person, uh, an IT person in one of the later seasons of 24. I know I'm about 20 years late on that show, and she was very young in the show. The, the, the story is, um, a last full day at a fictional summer camp in 1981, it spoofs sex comedies, I can say that, aimed at teen audiences of that era. Beth struggles to 
keep her counselors in order and her campers alive while falling in love with Henry, an astrophysics associate professor at Colby College, and he has to save the camp from a piece of NASA's Skylab that's falling to Earth. Well, this sounds like quite a you-know-what cluster. I'll leave the last word off because it's a nice show. Here's the quote Shane has picked from the movie. McKinley, four lower campers are stuck in the ropes course. I meant to tell you about that yesterday, but could you get to it now? Shane, I have no idea. <laughs> what does this have to do with our topic? Please enlighten us. Two minutes because I want to get to prediction suit. Go ahead. Two minutes, oh, Shane. It has everything to do with our topic. First of all, great movie if you've never seen it. A lot of great actors before they got famous. Uh, it's probably one of the stupidest movies ever made, which is why I love it because I need some balance in my life between the serious things that I do. Um, so, you know, summer camp counselors, I was one. Um, there's a lot of responsibilities, but there's also a lot of goofing off. And I think the, the campers stuck in the ropes course is us as regular everyday citizens on the internet. We are stuck in the web. We've been stuck for a long time and the people who we are looking to to help us have neglected us for a very long time. Um, they have financial interest in helping us, which is probably why in this scenario, Janine Garofalo would like to get the kids out of the, the ropes course because they would like more people to sign up for the camp in the future. And that would be, you know, a real tarnish on the reputation if four kids were permanently stuck in a ropes course. So that's the way that I sort of view the situation that we're in right now. We're stuck. We need someone to help. The people who we've always looked to for help are irresponsible, unqualified, a myriad of other adjectives, disinterested in a lot of ways too. And they're only going to come to get us save us from this when it also helps themselves too. And so we're looking for a new group of people to come out there and actually be responsible and look out for the people who are stuck in the web, because whether we know it or not, we're all stuck. Thank you very much. I came up with an acronym for that. It's CBB. These people are CBB. You have no idea what I'm talking about. Can't be bothered. Ah, is that possible, Shane? I think so. Okay. As in don't care and can't be bothered. Let's move on. Mike Audi, you have a quote from Phil Oaks or Ox, depending on how you say Oaks. it. His Oaks, his second LP, I Ain't Marching Anymore, 1965. Wow. Do the math. 35 up to and 3522. Okay. That's the number of years. And he performs alone on 12 original songs on the album. And here is the line that Mike has picked. Call it peace or call it treason. Call it love or call it reason but I ain't marching anymore. No, I ain't marching anymore. This comes in on the, uh, if you find it on YouTube, it's at two minutes and 14 seconds. It's the final lyrics of the song. How's that for research, Mike? Are you impressed? I am. It's an all-time song. Thank you very, very, very tumultuous time. Um, Yeah. Uh, Look, we have to help ourselves. That's all that that song is about, right? The, in terms of data, the exchange of information on the internet is broken. People are upset and it's not working for people anymore. And by the way, it's not working for businesses anymore, right? Facebook's now meta because data is not working for them anymore and they had to run to the metaverse, right? We don't have to play by the rules that were set there before. We don't have to, we can get ourselves out of the ropes course, right? The reason we're stuck is we relied on other people, right? But we don't have to. That was never the inspiration behind the internet. That's never the reason why we did any of this. We can get ourselves out of the ropes course. We don't have to play by their rules because it's now broken for all parties involved. We can fix it at a very ground level and make it whatever we want. So we have an opportunity, a unique opportunity at this point in time 
to fix something that no one thought could ever be fixed. Thank you very much. Very, very interesting. I appreciate the thoughtful selection of quotes. Let's move on. Eric Simone has picked a quote from Giant by post-British, post-punk synth pop. That's a tongue twister. Thank you, Eric. Post-punk synth top band, The The. So the the. Okay. the the how did I know I'm having trouble with Faria and with Audi I, I got to the, the 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 and I don't know what the 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 is that the first word is lowercase t-h-e the second word is capital t lowercase and the the and the album is soul mining 1983 um, they were signed with CBS records after a bidding war for their favor from major record labels here is the line how could anyone know me when I don't even know myself? Oh, Eric, I like this one. Go ahead. Pretty self-explanatory, right? You can have my data. Uh, I'm willing to share my data for uh, for convenience, but you still don't know who I am. So I still believe in the individual. Uh, humans will always share what they want to share for convenience. I think it's awareness and understanding that will start to kick in on how we share that data and how that data is gonna be used, right? So if you look at GDPR, you look at PII, we have got to use these 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 laws, right? Personal identifiable, identifiable uh, information and general data protection regulation. Uh, we'll get better at how we use data, but we're always gonna be a community of people that shares data. We were doing it way before we had computers. We were doing it once the internet was in its infancy in in the mid nineties, we've just now lost our way a bit and we got to rein it back in. Right. So that's, that's really what this quote means is look, we're going to become more aware. We're going to get smarter about it. Uh, we're going to, we're going to watch some of these companies and how they use our data, but we're always going to want to share our data because we're going to want to become better as a society. So I take the optimistic view, I uh, know there's not going to be data privacy, but we'll have better control on our data as we move forward. That would be a good thing. Thank you very much. Appreciate the lyric. And Eli Herrick has picked a line from Step Brothers, 2008 American comedy film, Dale Warren's Brennan. Uh, let's see, Brennan Huff is played by Will Ferrell. Farrell, Farrell, Farrell. And Dale Doback is played by John C. Riley. Wonderful actors. They're 40 year olds whose parents marry each other and the guys are forced to live together and they're told, get along, don't touch each other's drum sets and get a job or move out. And here is the line. I found the scene online on YouTube. I love it. And the quote is, Dad, where, what are you, what are you going? It's, where are you going? It's Shark Week. Go ahead, explain it, Eli, after I butchered the quote, please. So the quote really just displays how obsessed they are with watching Shark Week, right? Anything that gets in the way, it's just get out of the way. So anytime there's a consent pop up, like, hey, can we have your data? It's yes, of course, get, get out of my way. I just want to watch Shark Week. Um, so the vast, vast majority of the users that I've talked to and that we've interviewed and, and really worked on our product with are just kind of passive. They, they don't care. Um, 63% are neutral when asked if they care that people are selling their data, if they have any input on that at all. Don't get me wrong, that 70% want to be paid for it, but in general, people don't care. They just want to get to that end product. Um, there's not a lot of friction where it's, hey, as a company, can we have this and sell it? Sure, I don't care. Get out of my way. I want to watch Shark Week. Um, so that's a quote. 
Thank you very much. So do you think people just want to do Shark Week and they want to watch whatever's left of Shark Week and they don't want to care about their data? Is that where we are? It's like, leave me alone. Couldn't be bothered. I don't think it's that they don't care. I think it's that they're neutral. And if there's something better behind uh, a data consent wall, it's a, it, it's a very, very, very low wall for people to eager, eagerly give away, especially when there's not compensation tied to it. And I'm sure I'm, I'm, I'm teeing up Mike and Shane there, but um, that, that's kind of where it's at for us. Thank you very much. Gentlemen, thank you for your very interesting quotes. Let's plow through our predictions now. Shane Faria, I'm looking at prediction number two. I put a, a quote, I'm sorry, prediction for everybody in the chat. I'm about to hit okay for yours, Eli. Just watch for a second here. Shane, prediction number two, data will eventually be used as a form of currency. That could have been the title for the show as a prediction. Shane, Explain, unpack, two to three minutes. Eric is weighing, Eric saying, oh, I don't know. Let's see what he has to say. So, Jane, we're ready. Go ahead. Uh, it, was, it was a little bit of a misdirection because it already sort of is, um, in many ways, a form of currency that we use. But that's sort of the reason why I wanted to choose it, because this might be the barrier of entry that gets people to understand what is actually happening when we don't have control of our data. Everyone understands money. Everyone understands currency. You could mad lib this entire situation, take out the word data and plug in money and much of the, <laughs> the story would still make a heck of a lot of sense. And so if you were to tell someone, you know, can I have all your data? People would be like, uh, I guess. But if you were to say, okay, can I have all of your money? People would say, eh, no, absolutely not. So understanding the relationship, right? We, we, we hear it semantically in how we communicate. Say like data is the new gold, data is the new oil, okay? It's the fuel that powers everything or it's the, this shiny object that is you know, uh, hard to come by and has incre increasing, uh, increasing value. Um, we, we talk like it, we behave like it, we just don't act like it because we haven't bridged the gap quite yet. And so there's plenty of innovative things going on here uh, in the world, some of which we're doing here at Tiki that turns data into money. It's sort of like a, I don't know, a- uh, Alchemy? Al alchemy, yeah, just a, <laughs> a little bit of an alchemical formula going on in there. And so if we can conceptualize the transactional nature of data and fill in that ad lib with money first, that might be the catalyst that gets people to understand the problem. And it makes sense from so many different levels. Like I said, we're already doing it. The, the data that we're giving away is then being sold. So there's a transactional nature at certain junctures of, of the, the life cycle of the data anyways. Um, so just having that, being able to be like, instead of I have data, it's like I have this asset, I have this resource and tethered to that is a value and I can exchange it, I can do all of these things. And at a certain point, I'm sure there will be a way for data to be a certain type of cryptocurrency, maybe different types of data for different types of cryptocurrencies. There's so many different angles that this can go in, mm -hmm. but I do think that because of the prominence of data, because of how much more we're going to create, because of it being the fuel, because of it being this thing that dictates the decisions that the world makes, that this understanding of it having a monetary assigned 
value to it, something that you can use in exchange will become commonplace and that'll help bridge that mental gap for people. Thank you, Shane. I'm thinking if you wrote your bio and you put it on a piece of nice paper with a border around it and you turned it into a JPEG, you took a picture of it and you created an NFT, you could give a monetary value to who got to see your bio. You wouldn't send it to me in a jot form to go on a guest directory on Voice America for the show, would you? You would sell your bio. And I'm thinking, we have something called autofill. Haven't we all used autofill on our computer when you go to sign up for a new website or buy a product or something? Autofill. It takes the ease, takes the pain out of putting in your address and your phone number and your email address and your gender and where you live and all that good stuff. Well, look what it's doing. It's making it easy for us to give away a lot of data without having to lift a finger. You have to delete what it fills in rather than filling it in. Just thinking, I think we need a part three, guys. I I think we're going to go for part three because we're not going to cover enough here. Let's go to prediction. I'm going to make sure we get one prediction each from you and then we can go around and do some talking about it. Mike Audi, I'm looking at prediction number two for you. You say the data broker model where companies who users have never heard of aggregate massive amounts of information for the purpose of selling data services. They will be regular regulated out of existence, aha, by a combination of tech player policy, Apple, and the government. Let's not get too much into politics, but is that day coming soon, Mike? Talk to us. I mean, you've probably all seen the data broker commercial that Apple seems to run every 10 seconds on TV. So yeah, it's happening. I mean, $230 billion fell off Facebook, now Meta's market cap from one policy change. You know, LiveRamp, one of the largest data brokers, sold their location data business like 18 months ago on the backs of expectations of sweeping changes in terms of location data policy coming from governments all around the world, right? This is not politics. This is just like people are passing laws that change what you can or cannot do with data, um, which is going to make the data broker model no longer worthwhile to exist, right? All that's changing is the economics of the situation. Um, Where that gets really weird is the whole point of the internet is to share information, right? So we might be the only privacy company in the world who says we should share data, um, but (laughs) um, the whole point is actually to share data with consent, right? It's you as a person own something, so you should choose how it's shared and what they can do or not do with that information, right? It's all about ownership and explicit consent or what we call informed consent, right? Your choices. Um, And so the data broker model is going to be gone. It's going to get, it's going to disappear and it's going to leave this big vacuum in the world of businesses who need data, rely on the flow of data from people to them to actually deliver the services we want to Eli's point, which, you know, we just want to watch Shark Week, right? So people still want the services, but they have now ownership and rights of control over who gets what data and what they can do with it, which ultimately benefits them as the consumer, right? Um, It allows them to have actually power over the situation, get the services they want and not participate in things they don't. Um, It returns back that power to people. 
Thank you very much. And as a just a policy statement here, when my guests on all of my radio shows, my podcasts, send me a bio, I try to be very specific. No personal information. I don't want to know how many children you have, exactly where you live. I don't want to know the names of your goldfish, what <laughs> bars you go to on the weekend, what you like to drink with your brunch on Sunday morning. And I will delete that information as my policy because I don't want to put that on a guest directory that anybody can see. I don't think that should be shared. I've made that decision as a producer and host to quote unquote protect a little bit of the privacy of the people who are sharing their bios with me and I feel very secure in that so if anybody sends me that I just delete it and I don't put it on the directory that's the way it is I'm trying to trying to not be a broker of that data Mike Audi let's move on Eric Simone I have your prediction number one you say data usage will evolve from predictive analytics to ubiquitous AI you've got to unpack that for us Eric Mr. Clearblade go ahead so it's happening now, um, and I don't want this to be scary. There's, there's, there's good usage of data as well as poor usage of data, right? So, um, look, I, I deal in the B two B world, big enterprises, and and data is extremely valuable. Um, just like Mike and, and Shane said, uh, to these businesses to do good with that data as opposed to what may happen in social media and so forth, right? So my world is a little bit different. I see the good of what can be done when you're uh, an energy company and you wanna make more efficient use of our resources, right? When you're an agriculture company and you want to get better output from your crops. Um, this is a lot of data that comes from both human uh, inputs and machine inputs, right? And so what's happening is this data has been typically locked in clouds all over the world. It's been locked in AI models that can only do their job once the data is streamed from some device or some person. And we're seeing that data unlocked now by going to the edge. So imagine uh, uh, an energy company and you're getting terabytes of data off on, on, on some uh, remote location. You can't use that data over satellite feed, but you can use it locally if you have that model unleashed from the cloud, right? So we're seeing a movement in enterprises today across the world, unlocking models that they built 10, 15, 20 years ago because they're making better use of that data, large amounts, terabytes of data, and they're doing it locally, which is much safer than streaming that all into one centralized location, right? So now I can protect the sovereignty of that data, I can keep it in country, I can keep it on premise, I can keep it at the edge, and I can use it in a way that is way safer than what we're doing today by centralizing all of it. So this again, is it's transforming things like uh, water usage in Napa and Sonoma and Russian rivers. So, you know, again, making making uh, better use of that water to create great wine. It's being, uh, it's being used in, in transportation to make travel safer. Uh, so I'm seeing positive uses of this data across industry uh, around the world. And it's a, it's a real exciting time uh, for, for this to be happening. Thank you very much. We like positive. We like optimistic. That's what we're hoping to achieve. But I don't know if we're there yet. So thank you very much. Eli Herrick, let's get into your sports world a little bit here. I'm looking at prediction number two. You say, as markets such as sports betting and athletic talent identification trend toward trillion with a T, trillion dollar markets, data continues to become the new oil, especially in sports, raising the questions of ownership and ability to sell. Eli, talk to us, unpack please. 
Absolutely. Well, I think Shane and Mike actually touched on the two most important topics that I'm seeing here as far as where sports data is going, um, who has the ability to sell and who has the ownership uh, to either consent to that or to be the one that facilitates. Um, the biggest example of this is a litigation that's going on right now. It's called Project Red Card. It's about 850 European soccer players that have actually all band together to um, basically sue 150 companies that have been selling their data without their consent and in most cases without their knowledge. So to Mike's point, there is no informed consent. There is no informed, much less consent going on with that data sale. And then to Shane's point, as soon as you start talking about much, much, much larger sums of money and closing that loop of, okay, sports betting and and and, and data are hand in hand like there's no way that you can separate how you're getting you know a targeted ad on your phone based on something that you wrote online or something that you said to it like that's a little bit easier to disconnect but as soon as you start seeing a line that's directly derived from data that you contributed when you played on a field um, people start to connect those dots a little more of okay you're making x amount of dollars from something that i created and you never asked me if you could use any of that so just based on what we're seeing, even with the GDPR and some more regulations that are going on, still not having that same level of consent and informed consent being that standard that we're uh, striving toward. But nothing like that exists now. And that's definitely where we're going, especially as those numbers continue to go north. Thank you very much. Very Eric, I saw a nice polite finger raised there. Go ahead, Mr. Simone, you get to go comment. I'm interested in what Eli's take is on data coming from, say, football, right? And and improving products for for concussion CTE situations. What's your stance on that? Because I'm I'm, I'm interested in what you're saying. So there's a lot of different levels to what data we're looking at on a sports field. And Bon is probably gonna have to cut me off on time here. (laughs) How deep that that well really is. You've got on-field, uh, performance data, which is kind of observable. There's been a dozen different lawsuits between companies like AT&T, I think, and um, the PGA Tour had a, had a litigation going back. There's been NBA, like everybody's been fighting over this observable information. But as you start getting more into uh, biometrics and things that are actually closer to that human health, and you've got the HIPAA violations and things like that, that you can start correlating those to, that's when those lines start to get drawn. Um, the thing that I'm excited about is that some of the companies in this space, I'm pointing at Whoop in 2017, um, actually have a deal with the NFL that players can sell their personal health information from Whoop to third parties that want to buy that. So there are companies here that want to do good that realize that what Mike's talking about is this data model isn't going to exist that much longer for these guys and the good press and to be able to come out and say, we're working with the NFL to give players data ownership and control their future. Um, in some cases, is worth more than trying to sell that information. Eric, answer you okay? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm just interested in the take. It's it's interesting, so I'm not in that field. Pretty okay, cool. and and what's interesting to me is if you I get little blurbs from Twitter every day, and some of them are from 
movie stars. And they say, why did she really want to wear the blue dress on the set of that movie? Or why did she break up? You know, Kim broke up with Pete. And they had famous pizzas named after them on Staten Island. And everybody was going here and there. It's like, do we care? But look at the data they're giving away. Well, she's got a family. She's got kids. She's got too much to do. And she hasn't finalized her divorce from what's his name. And this and that. They're giving us personal data. We're There's a feeding frenzy for this stuff. And here we are saying, oh, I'm saying to somebody, I don't want to share, Eric, where you go with your family on your holidays in your bio. And here we have these movie stars <laughs> telling us everything they do, which creates this sense that we're supposed to be part of this grand scheme of where everybody tells everybody. I'm just going to leave. They can buy there. private jets and yachts with that data. I can't. I can't buy a house with that data, but they can. So I, I get why they share it. There you go. I want to see if we can squeeze in. We've got nine minutes left. Let's see if we can squeeze in a couple of more predictions. Shane, I'm looking at number four. You say data prominence will reveal how much of our lives are pattern oriented and give rise to desire for self-improvement. I think I like where this is going. Shane, take about two minutes max, please. Sure. Well, I can start with a very uh, topical example to my life. So I coach track and field. And for the first few years of coaching track and pe- track and field, and even when I was an athlete, coaches would say something like, do this rep at 75%. Kids have no understanding or conceptualization of what 75% of their VO2 capacity for a 400 meter run is. But if you actually show them the data, and actually show them here is what 75% of your VO2 capacity is. I would like for you to run this lap in this exact time. Then it gamifies the process. It brings in game theory and it, it taps into the, uh, the competitive nature of, of individuals. And so there's a lot of technology out here that gives us data on our lives. And many people are afraid to give away that information because we don't know how it's being used but if we can prove that this data is not being used for nefarious purposes then we get to better understand ourselves right now i think people don't understand that they don't understand themselves as well as they could companies understand us a lot better than we do because they have access to this information and can crunch these numbers etc etc but when given the information in front of you that says hey your attention span is worse than 80 percent of people in your age demographic based on these metrics people look at look at that and be like i didn't know that i want to be better i have something to measure myself against i have game theory i have a competitive part of it and i want to get better because now i know i can get better Thank you very much. Very interesting. And don't we all love when you go to a website and you have to say, yes, I accept cookies and then their ads pop up. How many times a day, every time you log in, right, Mike? It's like, I don't want to buy dresses from that company. No, I don't want to buy that light from Wayfair. I love Wayfair, by the way. Uh, It's like, get out of my face already. So I looked at your site once, and now I have to live with that in my face. Okay, let's not get into advertising there. Mike, I have prediction number three teed up here. We have six minutes left. Let's see if we can get one more after this. Eric, I'll look for, uh, I think I put in one for you. So Mike says, we're on the verge of a wave of new data economy services before long you'll get a discount on services like Netflix for their use of your data or a free cup of coffee at Starbucks each month for them to use your data in ads. Should we be scared or I'm in an ad by Starbucks. I'm so popular. I'm excited. What do you think, Mike? I think this just ties back to what 
Shane and Eli just talked about, right? Like we're create by attaching ownership and a monetizable value to user data, it opens up actually a whole range of new, very interesting services that ultimately net benefit people, right? Netflix is already monetizing your data. Starbucks is already monetizing your data. Now that you know that it's your data and has a value for them to keep doing that, they're going to have to give you some incentive to agree to do it, right? And that's going to open up all these new interesting systems and services. You know, the example that I always point to is a company in the crypto space called Delphi Digital, which raised a $60 million Series A like a year ago to build what they call data DAOs in a circular economy around trade data. And, and so they're a crypto research like app, which gives you trade data, right? Basically on what trades are going where and when and all kinds of stuff for market research. And they allow people to pool their data together around their trades in the app to create better research and reporting back to the community and exchange those the performance of those trades then fuels more money back into the economy and so on and so forth right and so every company i've talked to in the last several months is heading in this general direction of how do we actually use more data through user consent and explicit opt-in to get more data flowing to build better services for people with their in, like not implicit consent or tricking them or cookie pop-ups that were just like, get away, but them actually saying, I want this. I purposefully want this to make my experience better. People prefer personalization over privacy. Like that's just a known fact, but how can we give people that without them later being like, you screwed me? Absolutely. Very interesting. You know, we used to have something called testimonials where you had to ask somebody if you could use their name, right? Anybody mm -hmm. in the corporate world? And I remember when I was... Um, doing some videos for SAP. I worked there for nine years and we were using customer statements from, I think it was from their big Sapphire event, which I attended when you're broadcasted live radio. It was very, very exciting from Orlando. And in order to use the scripts from these interviews with the clients who were at Sapphire, get this, I had to get permission to even remove a comma from a statement made by a customer. Mike, I'm not kidding. I had to get express permission to crunch a sentence together so it would fit on the screen in this video I was doing for the company. These were myth-busting videos. That's how we protected so well. And this was in 11 years ago, not that long ago, not the dark ages, where we had such respect for using people's statements that in order to have their name on the printed on this visual video, and in order to use their quote, I had to get specific permission to use anything they said that was transcribed at an event hosted by the company. Are you all shocked and amazed that we, we had that level of care so that somebody would say, you quoted me wrong. How could you? You know, I didn't put that semicolon in the middle of that sentence. That's how much we protected it. We're just about out of time. I wish we had time for more predictions. So let me go around again and ask the quick question and then we have a little goodbye. And then gentlemen, stay, stay around. I wanna take some pictures and chat with you for a second. So. Will we have data privacy? Shane, I'm changing the time frame to the next five years. It's now the middle of 2022 by uh, 2027. Summer 2027, will data privacy be anything that is tangible for us? Will it be something we can say, yes, I have data privacy in my life? Shane, yes or no? One sentence, why? Seriously, one sentence. I would say five years, I'm more likely to say no than yes, but. Okay, Mike Audi, yes or no? 
Yes, because privacy is about what you choose to share. And if you choose not to share something, then it's not shared. And I think we're going to see an entire wave of consent-driven applications that don't disrupt services. Thank you, Eric Simone. Yes or no? And one sentence why? That was a long sentence, Mike, but I liked it. Go ahead. No, uh, and we're already getting value from the data we're sharing. We'll just have better control on what we share and how we share it. Thank you. Eli, quick, beat, beat. No, because I still want to watch Shark Week. <laughs> I appreciate that. I want to say thank you to Aaron Keller, our engineer. Used to be my engineer, and now he's the director of technical operations at Voice America, but he's filling in for one of the other engineers who got sick this week. I want to thank my four special panelists. Shane, wonderful to see you. Thank you. Love the shirt. Mike, I thank you for showing us the pineapple. <laughs> I hope that didn't come across wrong. Eric, thank you for the clear blade explanation. Eli, you're going to come back. We're going to do part three. I want to talk to you about that. And I have a quick homework assignment for you all before we go away. I want you all to practice right now quickly, waving your finger and say, no, no, no. When on the count of three, you're all going to say, no, no, no with me. Everybody says the future is already here. And our answer is one, two, three. No, come on. No, no, no. Mike, yell it. No, 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 no. Because that was yesterday's future. Today's future hasn't happened yet. And we're all here to try and make it a better one. Bonnie D signing off. Everybody wave goodbye to LinkedIn. Wave goodbye to Facebook. Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. 